there we go third day and uh, we're making some progress so first thing I want to do is to read this uh, prophecy of Chris Larkins it came out in October uh, 2007 so it sounds as though it's a bit of an elderly one but actually I think it's for now and she says I saw a great waves of dust rolling over the land it looked like surf but it was all dust blowing across the ground it was like a huge dust storm but it wasn't caused by winds, storms or tornadoes it was from the earth the waves kept rolling they were no higher than buildings or any man-made construction and they rolled over everything that could be seen it seemed like the dust was in the wake of angelic hordes being released over the land stirring everything and everybody unsettling them I saw many people being lifted and put down in different positions or places. Then I could see the outline of horses' hooves in the dust galloping across the group. But the horses' hooves didn't cause the dust. I could see angelic hosts above the horses, but they were not riding them, they were accompanying them. As these waves rolled, I could see figures running around, and I knew that the dust was coming from the figures. People who were stirred up, shaken, disorientated. There was a lot of running around, people rushing in confusion. There was a stirring up of all that was earthly, and it was a preordained time for this to happen. Yet it was also a response to the prayer of the many saints who'd cried out for healing of the land. The prayers were not being answered in the way they'd thought, and to some it seemed a terrible thing, even the work of the enemy. But it was God's mercy being released. All that was built on man-made structures was suddenly seen and then blown away, leaving level, clear places. I realised that the angels and horses were sent to stir everything up that was neither in the right place, position or purpose, nor in the right heart attitude. So I knew that the stirring was a good thing, but it didn't seem like that to watch it, and it certainly wouldn't have felt good to the people who were in the middle of the waves. I saw buildings crumbling in the dust and lots of paper flying around. Through the dust I could see pinpoints of the most amazing light, pinpoints of glory. Some lights stayed in their place during the dust waves, but others seemed to move ahead of the waves. I asked the Lord what it meant, and he said that his plans and purposes for time on earth have now moved into a new time, the planned time. Time had slipped. For this he had to have his people right, in the right place, with the right people, and in right relationship with him and the body. So he sent his angels to minister the stirring up of the people. But the dust was not from the angels, it was from the earthly things being stirred up and blown away. He said that in this time many will be repositioned or have radical changes in circumstances or situations. Old mindsets and even godly desires will be swept away to prepare for this time on earth, which is ordained from heaven. After the dust had been stirred up, there was to be a time of seeming silence and emptiness, but this too was the Lord, and the emptiness was to be filled with a desire for God and his will alone, nothing of the earth, dust. Then a great silence, a stillness, a moment occurred. The moment was for a response. After the response, the movement began slowly and people emerged. It looked like Red Cross uniforms moving across a battlefield after a great battle. People of comfort and hope emerged first. Words of encouragement were bringing restoration and courage 
to rebuild out of the emptiness and devastation. Many repairers and restorers then appeared. The devastation was most seen in those who had been captive to religious structures which didn't bring life and many of these came from surprising places. The purpose of the horses was to trample the earth so that the people could see what was of dust and what was of the Lord. So much dust was thrown up. The pinpoints of glory were the things of heaven which were established on earth. Some of the things were established and needed to stay behind. Others were to carry forward into the new time as they had yet to reach completion. However, I knew that some of those lights stayed behind had also not reached completion, but that the time had passed and they needed to be left as they did not fit what was coming. Any of these lights in the future would be through a different means, and those who were holding on to them needed to let go or stay behind. They would stay in their present places, still holding the glory of God, but missing the opportunity to move into the new thing God was going to do. I asked the Lord what the people should do when dust was rising, and he said, What do you do in a dust storm? You should cover your eyes, ears, and mouths. This was to keep them clear, so vision, hearing, and testimony are not distorted. It will also stop premature words being released. Words will come later. After the dust has passed, I will move in hearts and speak my secret plans and mysteries, so the people might not be deceived or confused during the dust storm and will have courage and strength to move forward with me. The prophets will speak when the dust has settled, for what is really happening during the dust storm is not to be spoken about. Much challenge, repentance and purification will take place in the dust. Much grace and mercy will be released. Hearts will be revealed. I knew it would be a shock and a loss to those who have been busy building structures and plans. Many structures which fulfilled God's purposes in the past will be redundant in this new time. The structure the Lord is ordaining for the new time is built first on relationship with function following. Just as God is relational first <coughs> and out of relationship life comes. Who we are together will determine what we do, not what we do signifying who we are. There is no lack of things to do but there is a famine of true fellowship. Fellowships of the heart will emerge from the dust storm. It will seem like all that is left from our old way is a heart to serve God. There will be no obvious form or structure to hide under. The Spirit will lead and guide, gather and reposition people, ready for what is coming. Only God can do this. So I felt I needed to read that because it's about dust and glory, which is what we've been talking about all over this weekend, that we are dust but glory is uh, in us and it's meant to be manifested through us. Um, the second thing that the Lord uh, raised with me this morning was um, a prayer for alignment. I expect you've all said your proclamations this morning. Oh, there's that oak, one or two O's going around. <coughs> It is really important you speak these things out. It's a, that, as you heard with Graham last night, the, the importance of actually declaring and proclaiming is so powerful because I tell you the negative that is released 
in our words is tremendous. We've got to start redressing the balance so that we're speaking out positive things. But this is something that I don't expect you to actually um, concur with right now, but you might want to take it away and think, well, I want to do that. It's a prayer for alignment with the Holy Spirit, and it goes like this. I pray that I would become a person aligned with you, spirit, soul and body, mentally, physically, emotionally and spiritually aligned with you and your purposes. That you will train me in righteousness. You will train me to be joyful and peaceful and loving and kind and merciful and full of self-control. That the fruit of the Spirit is the choice way that I become aligned with you. And I pray that that alignment <clears throat> will occur in my heart because that alignment, Lord, will push me into a whole dimension of the Spirit in which I can be successful in areas of warfare. Without it, Lord, I may be a liability in the day of trouble. Would you raise up warriors, people who want to live aligned with you because they're fascinated by you? When we're fascinated by you, we're not intimidated by the enemy. No weapon fashioned against us will prosper because in our alignment we're steadfast, we're fixed, our heart is fixed, O oh God, our heart is fixed and we're focused on you. I regret to say there is a spelling error in this. It says our heart is fixed. It should be an S, is, but you'll know that when you go to read it. So if any of you want one of those, I'll put them over there and you can have one. Um, just to sort of catch us up on what happened last night, um, do you remember at the beginning of the weekend I said it's going to morph into something because I really didn't have a clear idea and last night we, we had a tremendous time, uh, for those of you on the CD, listening to uh, a session with Graham Cook at Prayer for the Nations um, called Awaken and I think it's still available from www.prayerforthenations.com uh, and it's Awaken, probably somewhere around 2003, would you say? Mm. So if you want a time scale for it, it's that. But arising from that, of course, one or two of us have got some um, real uh, experience in spiritual warfare. And when I was praying this morning, I sort of said to the Lord, um, you know, I felt I failed miserably last night to, to bring wisdom into the situation. Um, because I felt miserably to bring wisdom into the situation. <laughs> well, I felt as if I did. So as I prayed and asked him, um, several things came out, and, and I'll just read you what I wrote down. The first thing was, pray in the Spirit regularly. Um, when you get up in the morning, first thing, uh, as you go into your quiet time, start praying in the Spirit because the word says that that is what builds you up inside. It also switches off your mind. So it gets you into the place to be able to receive in your spirit. Um, so that, that is really a number one. As we go on in, in discipleship, we really have to do these things. Speaking things out loud is so important. Um, silent prayer is ineffective it needs to come out God spoke and the world was created so we have to speak things 
into existence and as we go on he will give us let there be words and we will speak things into existence we're beginning to speak them over each other now that's why I want to stir up the gift of prophecy so that we can find out what God's how God sees us and you're seeking him for your identities as well who he sees you as remember that was something yesterday how does he see you who does he see you as a Moses Abraham Esther Gideon David there'll be a character in the Bible that he will line you up with he will show you an Anna a prophetess you know he will show you who he sees you as and then you get an idea how you're seen in the heavenly realms that was what Graham was talking about wasn't it the whole weekend really has been about the two realities we're in the earth earthly but in the heavenlies we stand before God in a totally different identity this afternoon hopefully we will listen to his stepping into your truest identity and what I've been laying the base for will come clear to you there um, I felt in God that it was important to lay the base before we heard that because otherwise you would there'd be a confusion but if you've got the base of the clay and the, and the spiritual person that you are you can see what your truest identity is is the one that you stand before God <coughs> Um, it's not that it's not the one where you are down here that is like an offshoot it's important because it's part of your natural life but it's not the most important because your identity is superior in the spirit to that which is here I'm not seen as a Boadicea or a Deborah down here I'm seen as a granny and I'm happy enough for that if any of you well you're not old enough arsenic and old lace these two old ladies used to polish people off during the day um, arsenic and old lace, wasn't it? And then they were so sweet and kind. Cups of tea. Was it Agatha Christie? Killers. Yeah, killers. They were killers. That's it. Joyce and I used to joke about it at the Wesley Centre. We'd be sitting there knitting dollies during the day, having cups of tea with people and casting out demons in the evening. I said, it's arsenic and old lace. Two personas there. Same people, different role. I feel like, do you remember in Jaws, was it Jaws where that man smiled and he got all that row of metal teeth? <laughs> Not Jaws, James Bond film. Yeah. You know, I feel like that, you're smiling sweetly like this and then you go like that to the end, I mean, it's a row of metal teeth. <laughs> anyway, when you get attacked, as you will and you do and you did last night, don't go into two things, panic or escape. Because if you, if you say, get me out of here, if that is, that's your flesh, and immediately you're going to learn nothing. Tests and these trials will come because they're to give us an increase. And we need to use them to press us deeper into God. And that means that when you're in the middle of it and he's giving you a banging headache or just put a hatchet through the top of your head, your first response is, Thank you, Father, you're with me in this and I worship you. You are not giving the enemy any attention. So you're blessing God, you're praising His, Him, you're declaring. Uh, remember how He declared last night and who He was before God and who we were before God. And that is manifesting your spirit. So don't panic speak peace to yourself shut your Martha up tell her to shut up this too will pass I'm going to use this to upgrade my peace and my rest and my confidence that's what they're there for you're in training and this is part of it 
so you worship and you give thanks it's hard when you're limping about last night you probably didn't know but I got cramp in my toe which then travelled itself up to my leg here and I sat over there worshipping and I said Lord I've got to go and get Joyce to pray for me because this is not going to go uh, and she prayed for me and eventually it went because I just determined to forget about it a little bit of healthy neglect of the enemy is absolutely wonderful he hates it because he does everything to attract attention you've heard the story I expect I'm telling it all the time of uh, that pastor every Sunday morning before the service started he's up in his pulpit rebuking this rebuking that rebuking the other and the morning was terrible and it went on week after week and it got worse and worse and the worship was awful and he eventually he said Lord whatever what's going on you know we seem to be under such terrible attack Lord said to him I'll show you next Sunday so Sunday comes he gets up in his pulpit starts rebuking the enemy and through the windows come all these demonic holes <laughs> God says he likes any kind of attention so if you focus on him you give him your attention so you focus on God so he doesn't get and the devil he wander away as Graham said and the man says devil he wander away it's like a lion he can't he do a short spurt but he can't consistently keep it going he's not a, a lion as I said at the last spiritual warfare conference it, it, can, it can only go after its prey in a short spurt so you've got to out, outlast him and sometimes it takes weeks some of you who know me know that um, um, part of my role is to rescue people when they've got themselves in a problem and um, there's, there's a, a dear friend of ours lives in Devon and uh, two three years ago now she phoned one evening and Joyce ha as Joyce handed me the phone a bolt shot through my knee I mean it was as it was as quick as that straight through, I can't even remember which leg and I thought cool blow that will go in a minute but it didn't go and it, it nearly crippled me I couldn't walk I couldn't stand up I had to think about every movement I made but I knew it was a demonic attack <coughs> And then Chris and Telsa, you know Chris and Telsa? And of course Chris was osteopath, wasn't he? Let me look at it, he said. And I'm saying, it's spiritual, but it is physical. He put his finger right on it, I nearly did a vertical takeoff. But I knew what it was. And I had to walk it out for months and months and months because what I was speaking to Ruth was bringing her back into alignment. Love her out, she slid away again. This time God sends me down there. Uh, and um, Joyce was in Plymouth, I'm staying in Torquay with Ruth and um, I woke up one morning and I thought, hmm, what am I eye? and I went to the mirror and it was brown and closed and superating and I, and I thought, I, in the night I'd had my, the pillow under my knee because of the pain of that and then I got poked in the eye for my trouble but she and I had a good chat and God showed her where she you know, veered off the path again, that spiritual warfare totally physical so whenever you get a pain or anything don't go straight for the pills go straight to him what does this mean? because the chances are it's spiritual warfare and pills won't touch it 
when I had my back pain there, Joyce said, try this. I said, it won't touch it. It isn't physical. So you can dose yourself up with all sorts of pills. Start getting frustrated with the Lord because nothing's happening because you're not finding out what's actually happening. So we need to know who's doing what to whom. How do I position myself? What do I do? How do I pray? And he'll probably say, smile. <laughs> so you'll smile. Because it, enabling yourself to smile will, will bring this thing through faster and you'll learn an awful lot more about the Lord. You'll learn to grin when he comes in. And what upset me about my latest one was that the Lord told me it was a skirmish. I thought, if that's a skirmish, I don't think I'll fancy a full, full battle much. Thanks very much. But there we are. So don't panic. Speak peace to yourself. Use it to upgrade your peace and your rest and your confidence. Worship and give thanks. I know it's hard, uh, but God is with you. The Holy Spirit's there. And he will bring a spirit of wisdom and revelation to you um, about what's going on. And you'll get payback. Don't worry about it. And that will put a real grin on your face because you will get payback. So it's brilliant. So the last actual session is uh, restoring the glory and the scripture is Christ in you, the hope of glory and I regret to say I didn't look it up, find out the scripture reference. So we're still looking at being conformed to his image. You, the hope of glory, yeah. Bearing in mind we're looking at the clay and the glory and the lost glory and the restoration of the glory. So in the natural, we're going into a new year soon. So is it going to be a time of a radical renewal for you or business as usual? You get to choose. He's standing before you now and he's asking, will you have me? Will you have fullness or measure? If you choose fullness, then you'll have to step into the acceleration that Graham spoke about uh, at the last passing the baton meeting and... Uh, I know that you've all heard it, so there's no need to play it. The divine acceleration is to bring you up to speed. It's no good as kidding ourselves. The British church is way behind in God's timing. We've been asleep, but it's time to wake up and catch up. God's gracious to us. While we're still wiping the sleep from our eyes, he's standing there waiting. He has a dream for our lives, and so he wants it to come true. Graham Cook said to the church on the way in July 2004, what if God wants to give you an adventure so huge it will dwarf everything else that you've ever done in your life? What if that is what God is holding out to you right now? What if he's holding out the dream of a company of people so in tune with heaven that anything could happen and probably will? And I say to you today, it's not too late. God is still standing there. He still has this dream for our lives and he so wants it to come true. That's why alignment is so important. Whatever you align yourself with, you will live. It will become your lifestyle. If you align yourself with the mediocre, that is what you'll become. If you align yourself with the world, that's what you'll become. 
If you want to be a settler rather than a pioneer, then settle. If you want to pull the duvet over your head until Jesus comes, then do it. It's entirely your choice. But if you pray this sometimes, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, just be aware of what you're asking God for. You're asking for God's sovereignty to be displayed in and through you. We don't realise or understand half of the time what we're saying, do we? If you consciously align yourself with God and allow the Holy Spirit to tutor you into what you are becoming, the eternal companion of an incredible king, you will become the eternal companion of an incredible king. Mm. You will know it, you will live it, you will taste it, you will experience what it's like to live in the glory of God. You are responsible for your own spirituality, no one else. God is the architect of what he's planning in you, but you have to give him planning permission. Later on today I'm going to play you a recent recording of Graham Cooks where he speaks about stepping into your truest identity. In this he talks about the two people we are, the earthly and the heavenly, which we looked at on Friday. And he describes this as personality and persona. The persona being of a much higher status than personality. His premise is that when you know who you are, how you are supposed to live, and others see that, they will have to act accordingly with you. Mm -hmm. He goes on to speak about the place in the spirit that God has for you to step into, where all your favour, all your permissions are stored, and it's the place of full permission. In this place of favour, you will ask what you will, and it will be done for you, because you're standing before the King of Kings, hearing his heart and praying his will. You won't be, as I've been saying so many times over the weekend, throwing darts at a dartboard hoping that something will hit the mark. You will be praying with such accuracy that you will see answers time after time after time. But like everything else, you get to choose. You can settle for the mediocre or you can step into a life less ordinary. Entirely, It's entirely up to you. And he gives two lists which I actually handed out before lunch. Um, because I don't expect you to be able to be quick enough to write them. So I'm putting them down so that we can have a look at them and uh, determine which category you majorly come into. Then you will see why you're currently experiencing what you're currently experiencing. Uh, because God is working on the negative aspects of your personality. And that's good. So, just for the sake of the CD, though I read them out before, I'll do it again. The first is the negative personality. And these are some of the characteristics that uh, a negative person... Can I say what you said when you did this list? <laughs> she said, I didn't know he knew me so well. <laughs> Sitting there all serious we were, and he said, cautious, pessimistic, judgmental, prejudiced, fearful fearful of man, fearful of being wrong. They fear looking silly, taking risks, they don't want their comfort zone tampered with, like what's safe and familiar, they want to stay with that. They're hesitant and prone to self-deception and deception by others. They have a sense of general or specific unworthiness 
and may just be overly self-conscious and they're always seeking prayer. The positive personality on the other hand has values, knows who God is for them, they know who they are themselves, they're happy in their skin, they are optimistic, trusting, willing to try, they can be challenged, they're risk takers, brave, honest, self-aware, open-minded and open-hearted. You'll hear that he says we're all a mixture of these lists and we usually major on one side or the other. But the important thing is that God is dealing with our negatives. So if you've got fear in your life, that is what he will be dealing with right now. I feel I keep, need to keep repeating that it's God's view of you that matters. It's his view, how he sees you, that must govern your life. The trouble is with many of us that God is actually on the margins of our lives. He's someone we meet with on a Sunday morning and spend a couple of hours in the company of, with, in the company of others and we don't actually have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with him that he so desires because our lives are busy, they're full of other things and horror of horrors, we're coming up to the season where he will be even more marginalised as we get ready for Christmas the time that is supposed to be a celebration of his birth. And what do we get cumbered with now? Shopping, buying presents nobody wants, doing just what Christendom does. The whole world celebrates this season and it's nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, but that's another story. Beloved, there is only one thing. He says, be careful of this one thing, your relationship with me. So, if we're to enter our inheritance fully, to walk in everything Jesus died to give us, we have to change our thinking. We were chosen with all foreknowledge to live a life blameless before him. He is not just a peripheral part of our lives, he is to be the centrepiece. And we've heard over the last couple of days that heaven is open to us, but our response to the invitation is crucial. Uh, do you remember the parable of the invitation to the wedding feast? Mm -hmm. And one by one they all made excuses. I'm going to make you crease now because I shall sing it. Joyce might with me. I cannot come, I cannot come to the banquet. Don't trouble me now, I have married a wife. I have bought me a cow, I have lands and commitments that cost a pretty sum. Pray hold me excused, I cannot come. Mm. and it goes on the master rose up in anger called his servants by name go into the what's its lanes called the halt and the lame my table must be filled um, but this is it excuses oh well I've got that I've got that I've got that so the Lord has to it gets marginalized you know I mean take him shopping <laughs> he's very good at that he's very good at shopping very good he doesn't half know how to say no <laughs> You don't need it. You don't need it. <laughs> Our place at the wedding feast is secure, but supposing the position, the seating position, is in question, just supposing those who love is appearing will be nearer the top table. Years ago, I think it was a dream I had, and in this dream there was a huge room with lots of tables laid, and Joyce and I came in. Loads of top table up there, way up there somewhere. So right by the door we 
put our coats over the chair thinking well that'll be a good place to be right by the door then suddenly someone came down and they went and called us up to the front so we put our coats on the chair there the scene changed and it was like in the um, the balcony bit of church on the way where you look down the stairwell and the fountains there and there were people from church on the way there and I can remember one particular lady in the dream saying to me, Who do you think you are sitting up there? Who do, who do, you, who do you think you are taking your place up there? And I said, We were, we were called up there. We'd, I didn't check. Someone was called to me in prayer and agreement. There you go. No, that's fine. Interesting though, isn't it? In a dream. Yeah. Who do you think you are? I didn't. I don't think of anybody. That whoever no. that is that's doing the feast said, "Come up here." And it's biblical, isn't it? It says, "Take your place at the back, and then the master may call you forward." Mm-hmm. In due time. In due time. Yeah. Inter- yeah. It's just interesting, isn't it? It just came to me. I haven't thought it for years, uh, but in putting this in and, and reading that, then I just remembered it. So. He loves every connection he has with us, but and this came to me when I was doing this. He lo- he deserves a whole loaf, if I can put it that way, not just a few crumbs like the leftovers of our lives. I was speaking to someone recently, and she said, "I want to feel his presence," and then went on to tell me how she found scriptures jumping out of the page when she sat down quietly to spend time with him. That is his presence. And I sometimes think that we've been conditioned to expect fireworks, jerking and hoeing as an indication that God is with us. We have conditions like that. So we're looking for all that. When that is past, and he wants us by faith to know that he's here. If he causes you to jerk and hoe, bless you. But some of the jerking and hoeing now is because that's what everybody expects to see when they think the presence of the Lord is there, so we'll drum it up a bit, you know. But that's that's okay. That's just the flesh, we can handle that. So, he is sovereign, he's the sovereign Lord and we are his servants. And we present ourselves, we worship and he connects with us. And it's beautiful, but we do need to get it in the right order. As I said yesterday, he's not our shield and butler, he's our shield and buckler. Mm. <laughs> So, as I've said to you guys, but this is for the CD really, while I was preparing this on Thursday, my hand came on that prophetic word that someone had given me in May. And at that time I didn't recognise the writer, but now I knew who it was. And the nub of it was that teaching is not what he's called me to do in this new season. He's called me to follow him. What is that to you, he said? Follow me. And I would say to you about everything in your life, what is that to you? follow him. He is the one with whom you're going to spend eternity. He's your bridegroom who waits patiently for his bride to love him with all her heart, soul, mind and strength. And why does he do that? Because he loves us with all his heart, soul, mind and strength. Had you ever thought of that? That he actually loves us with everything he is and that is why he asks us to love him with what he's first given us because he never asks us to do something that he hasn't given us first so he's (coughs) saying receive my love and then love me back 
as your first love with everything that I'm giving you and let the overflow of our love for each other touch everything and everyone around your life. Lay down what you think you should have in your life. Abandonment is abandonment to the sovereignty of God in your life. If he asks you for something, let him have it. Let go. Let go. Let go. The only safe place for it is in his hands. Everything is his. Anything you have is only on loan to you. So don't let him have to prize it from your fingers. Remember I said about the knife over my son and how uh, someone told me recently that I can put it down. It's been held over him long enough. But the work has been done. Let your whole concentration, your mind, be set on things above, not on the earth beneath. He is holding the universe together. He can manage the things that surround your life. Determine this day to give yourself to him completely, without reservation. Never mind how you feel. What's that got to do with it? Place your will into his hands. It's safe there. There are such things as inflamed desires in our lives, and I feel I just need to say something about these before we finish. Ungoverned or inflamed desire arises from discontent, from being discontented with your lot. Anxiety and fear are symptoms of holding on to something, trying to make something happen in your own strength, or keeping something the Lord is seeking to get you to let go of. Trust, rest and peace are what faith is made up of. Decide that you can trust him with whatever is holding you, then let it go. Remember you are not holding it, it is holding you and it's choking your growth. And desire is far broader than just materialism, gaining things. The desire or need to succeed or be known in the religious or secular organisation you're involved in is common but an overactive need for acceptance and approval in whatever field or sphere you happen to be involved with leads to the fear of man because you are driven to achieve that approval and acceptance and if it isn't forthcoming you feel a failure. Consider the strength of inflamed desire when it reaches for power, control or the need to be the centre of attention. When inflamed desire for sexual fulfilment and comfort is overpowering. Imagine the trouble that causes. Sex is important, but it's not that important. The inflamed desire for a religious experience or wanting the Lord to meet us in the way we want instead of how he chooses. Desire for your spouse to love you in the manner in which you desire to be loved. His or her resultant failure to do so is interpreted by you as being unloved. The person who is restlessly striving to better his own condition, even those seeking sort of spiritual perfection within themselves, will find it a painful and futile search. A discontented person with inflamed desire finds themselves in a continual search for the perfect church in the perfect place attended by perfect people. They mistakenly believe that in finding such perfection, 
that's all they need to be content. But the problem is not the imperfection of their surroundings. The problem is their discontent. Our personal desires to be with a certain specific group of people or be in a certain occupation are often accompanied by a vow, without us really realising it, to be unhappy until our desires have been satisfied, although we don't realise we've done this. Let me just say now, if this speaks to any one of you in any way, know this that I was not targeting anyone. God is just letting you know that there's an area here where you and he need to do business. It will result in freedom. So if it's spoken to you in any way and you know that in your heart there's an inflamed desire, get away with God after the session and do business with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory in our hearts. Christ is in you. Everything comes to the Christ in you. He is in you and you are in him. You cannot give God anything he didn't first give you. He never asks us for something he hasn't given us first. Everything will come via the Christ in you. That is your new creation, your restoration to the image and likeness, the Christ life within. He won't speak to your fallen nature. He won't speak to your soul. He won't speak to your low self-esteem. He will not converse with your self-pity. He will only speak to the Christ life in you. I'm reminded of uh, dear Roger Price who was in a depressive earlier in his Christian life. He was lying on the bed one day feeling very sorry for himself uh, one afternoon when he distinctly heard the Holy Spirit say, it's disgraceful. On asking what was disgraceful, he was told in no uncertain terms that his behaviour was. And he promptly shot out of bed and resumed normal life. He was laying there as though he'd got nothing. And there he was, a brand new creation, he was wallowing in his own depression. And the Holy Spirit is disgraceful. This is why sometimes we find God says something we think is obscure in answer to our prayers. We may be whinging about ourselves and our inability and poverty, and he comes to us like he came to Gideon in the wine press and calls us by something we've never heard of. He's speaking to who he sees and not who you see. Mm. This is where we need to align ourselves with his perspective of who we are, how he sees us, because that change in perspective will lead to a change in position before God which will change the way we pray. Mm. So you've got perspective, position and petition. Mm. And we'll see the windows of heaven open because we're up there opening them, living in the place Jesus has won for us in the heavenlies. What if you are the window that God wants to open to bless those around you? Mm. We are recipients of everything we give away, so there's always something to receive. You'll never exhaust God. He hasn't got, as Graham says, some kind of divine accounting system where he robs Peter to pay Paul and you have to wait for the cheque to clear in heaven. It isn't like that. He is inexhaustible. We will never get to the end of what he wants to give. You return everything back to God by the way that you give and he gets the glory. We give, he gives more, 
It's a never-ending cycle. Your desire for him originates in his desire for you. If you have a longing for more of him in your heart right now, it's because he's placed it there because that's what he's feeling about you right now. It's impossible for you to have a longing for him unless he's placed it in you. So sometimes the best thing you can do when you come into his presence is to connect with what you're longing for. God, I just need more of you in my life. Lord, I wish. And your sigh is on the same wavelength as God's. I'm trying to get a message to you, he says. I long for you. Love comes to the Christ in us and it changes us by the experience of it. Every day you are supposed to have an encounter with the love of God. Don't let a day go by without an encounter. Don't drift in your life. Make it a prayer. I'm going to have an encounter with God today in some way or other. I'm not talking about spending all your day in your quiet time. I'm talking about staying connected to the vine all day in communion and communication with him who is the lover of your soul. When you become God conscious you will find endless encounters with him during your ordinary day. When you love someone you don't walk around all day saying I love him, I love him, I love him. You just love him when he's in your heart or her as the case may be if you're a fella. Mary loved Jesus whatever she was doing. He was her constant companion whether he was there or not. She loved him. Staying connected wasn't a strain for her. We looked at the tree and the sap and how it bears fruit because it allows the sap to rise and the life of the tree brings forth the glory. We see a cherry tree in bloom in the spring and we say how glorious. It's bringing forth the glory of the sap, the life that's within. That's all we have to do. Remain connected and the sap, the life of God, will rise up in us and show forth his glory. Just stay connected. You be you, he'll be himself <laughs> and that will be enough vine and branches. Without me you can do nothing. Stay there where God's put you in Christ. Rest in that place and let him do everything through you. For of him and to him and through him are all things. It's a cycle. It comes from him through the Christ in you and back to him. It isn't rocket science. John 17 that your love may be in them and I in them so love comes to us through us in Christ and it changes us by the experience of it Amen thank Amen. you for listening God bless you mm -hmm.